I've known Lewis Howes for probably the better part of five years now, and I consider him a pretty good friend. I thought I knew him pretty well, too, and, and I still do. But when he came to me last year to share something, share something that has been weighing deeply on his heart, deeply in his head and his soul since he was a small child, a deep secret, I was stunned, absolutely stunned. This was one of those moments where you ask yourself, wow, do we really ever talk about anything real? A little bit later, Lewis came to me and said he wanted to share what he shared with me publicly. And he asked if I would sit down with him and if we would record a conversation. He had shared it with a number of different friends. And uh, he felt like his experience, what happened to him when he was a small child, was something that he wanted to, to bring public to uh, to help other people who may have endured something similar. I was hesitant because um, I didn't know how people would receive it. But I agreed, and uh, what unfolded, I think, was a pretty powerful conversation. Lewis shared that conversation with his own community a couple of months back, and, uh, and I'm going to share it with you guys today because I think it's an important conversation. So um, here's Lewis House. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. 
What is up, guys? Lewis Howes here, and today I am with my good friend Jonathan Fields, and I asked him to come on to facilitate this podcast, this episode, because I wanted to completely open up to you guys about an experience that I had, and I wanted to have him on here to really facilitate and support me in navigating this conversation. And I think it's really important uh, for me to have someone like Jonathan that I trust and that I feel comfortable with so that I can talk to you about this this subject that we're about to uncover. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. So, um, I mean, thank you for, uh, for inviting me on. Thank you for, uh, thank you for your trust. Thank you for, um, this opportunity to sort of like have this conversation so we can share something. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. We've been friends for a number of years now Mm -hmm. and, um, and you know, you, I think appear to everybody on, on the outside to be this golden boy. Like you can't do wrong. Mm. Everything you touch, you know, seems to light up, you know, and um, amazing projects, tremendous in business, tremendous in life, star athlete, all these things. And um, and you've been interviewed, I'm guessing, hundreds of times now. Everyone mm-hmm. from all over social media to mainstream media, TV, print, radio. <sighs> and um, written, you've, I don't know, done, what, 700 some odd webinars. <laughs> yeah, so it's like people lot. feel like they know you. Right. And... Um, and what's interesting is, you know, um, you, you've always told this, you know, you've got your hero's journey, which is like the story that you tell publicly about mm-hmm. how you were a, a, a pro athlete and you got injured. Mm-hmm. And that was like the inciting, that was like the big dark thing that you had to overcome that right. set you on this new journey. And, and I always knew that, like, that was a story that I always knew. And, you know, we've been friends for a, a while now. And then, um, it was probably a couple months ago where like you came to, to me and, dropped a different bomb, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and shared that there's actually a much bigger thing yeah. that, um, that you've been trying to work your way through, um, that happened a lot earlier in life. And mm-hmm. it's just recently that, you know, it's really started to bubble up to the surface and you've been able to start to process it. So I guess, um, I, I, I guess we should just kind of dive into it rather than keeping sure. people in, in, <laughs> on the surface here, but, um, something happened to you when you were mm-hmm. a kid. That um, changed everything. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of my first memories that I you know can really remember as an experience. And I was I was sexually abused or raped by another man. Mm. And I was five years old. I'll kind of walk through a brief story of it. I was five years old, and you know my parents were working full time jobs. There was four of us kids. Yeah. And so after school, we would all go to uh, a babysitter. And I went to a specific babysitter. I don't know if my sisters were at the same one. I think maybe one of them was because she was younger. The other one was probably going home because she was old enough. And so after kindergarten, I remember my babysitter was like across the street or a block away from the school. So we would walk across the street and go hang out at the babysitters for a couple hours until my mom, it was till it was five o'clock. Yeah. I mean, it's like latchkey kid. A lot of, a lot of people grew up that way. Like every day, you know, you're growing up in Ohio. It's a normal thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was probably there for a while. Like I don't even remember, maybe six months or a year, the whole year. And I remember one specific day, you know, we'd go there, we'd have, we'd play in the backyard. We'd, 
play games, whatever it would be. And there would be like, peanut, I remember there always being peanut butter sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly, but I didn't like jelly. So I'd always just have peanut butter sandwiches because I was picky. Um, and we just kind of hang out for a couple hours. And one day, one of my experiences I remember is that the babysitter was a, a woman, like probably in their forties, an older woman. And I remember she had a son and I never, I don't remember ever seeing the son until this one day. And he was probably in his late teens mm. from what I remember. I only saw him once and he was, he had his door open to his room and he had Nintendo on. And at that time, you know, Nintendo was huge back Man. in the late eighties. And I was like, I want to play Nintendo. So I asked him, I said, Hey, can I play Nintendo? And you're like five years old, five years time. old. Right. Yeah. I said, Hey, can I play Nintendo with you? And, and he said, yes, but you have to do something for me or something along those lines. He said, yes, but we need to do something first or you have to do something for me and then I'll let you play. I said, okay, you know, I'll do anything or whatever. So he just takes me into the bathroom and, and it's, it was like so nonchalant when I remember back at it, it wasn't like weird for him. It was like so nonchalant what happened like when he sexually abused me and you know he had me get on the floor i remember him having me get on the, the bathroom floor and performing the sexual act on me and i remember like just not knowing what was that it was right or wrong just kind of like i was doing this because i wanted to play nintendo mm. and i thought that it was just normal and he like finished whatever he was doing and then I went and played Nintendo. And I remember, like, during it, you know, it's a very vivid memory for me, actually. It's one of my first memories. And, and I remember during it. Because that, a lot of people don't remember any, anything from Yeah, five yeah. Ago. I remember this vividly. Like, I remember the smell, the texture, taste, the, the room. I remember everything, like mm. the sounds. I remember this whole experience. But I can't remember the guy's face. Like, I can't remember what he looked like. And if I saw him today, I probably wouldn't remember. So maybe I've run into him and I, and I didn't know. Because I only saw him that one time. And it was for like an, an hour or something during this whole like day. And I don't, you know, I don't know what he's up to now. I don't know what's happened or what he's doing or anything. But I just remember it wasn't until like later, probably when I was like an early teen, did I realize what had happened. So, I mean, at the end of that, on the day that it happened, <coughs> did you go home? Did you tell anyone or just I didn't wasn't? Tell, I didn't say anything to anyone. Right. First off, because I kind of didn't know what was going on. Right. And, yeah, I just, like, went about my day, my normal life, and, you know, went home. But I remember, being, you know, it being a moment, an experience that stacked up with other experiences that made me extremely defensive and guarded. Like throughout my childhood, through my life, and, and obviously, I mean, we're sitting. How old are you now? Thirty. I'll be thirty-one in a few days. Right. So you're thirty-one, yeah. and 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 this is one of the most vivid memories of yeah. your childhood. So it's stuck with you for it's stuck. a reason. It's yeah. stuck. And it, here's what's interesting: it's stuck. And I didn't tell anyone about it my entire life. I told my so, uh, sociology professor my freshman year of college. Mm. It was like a big class, like three hundred students, like just a basic sociology class i told him at the end of like one of his lectures as he was talking about rape and sexual abuse and it kind of like came back in my memory i was like man was this a bad dream or did this actually happen but i remember every year i would remember it like 
Mm. could vividly remember it. It wasn't a dream. I remember it so vividly. And I think I tried to make it act like it didn't happen. Like I tried to just put it out of my head right. and just like go about my life like it didn't happen. And I think being a straight man, uh, you know, I tried to like block it even more because it was a man and it wasn't like a woman. Yeah, and you're also, I mean, you're growing up in the Midwest. Yeah, Ohio. Right, you know. In, Small town. Right, where, and you're, you know, an emerging athletic star in yeah. the town. There's a lot of attention and focus on you and your family yeah. because your family yeah. has a lot of prodigies in the family. So, so, and you're like, you're a man, yeah. you know, according to the Midwestern straight right, man right, right, definition right, yeah. of like, and this is, so at, at, do you remember at what point as you kind of like start to revisit this, that you start to realize this wasn't normal. Yeah, I remember in in like high school starting to be like, this isn't normal. And I think probably when I had like one of my first couple girlfriends in high school, like we were started opening up and talking about, you know, everything. And then I didn't tell them the, this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, we're telling each other our deepest, darkest secrets, nah. and really getting intimate and vulnerable as like high school kids, you know, as much as a high school could, kid can. And <clears throat> I just remember being like, oh, you know, is there anything about you I don't know? You know, or asking questions like that, and nah. sharing our intimate and vulnerable moments. And I couldn't tell them this one thing. It was like, I could tell them everything else, like my brother going to prison, you know, my parents, getting divorced and like the experiences I had as a kid with that. And, you know, stealing, I had a stealing problem when I was in middle school and I had to steal something every day about how I was opened up about how I couldn't read and was felt like stupid in class all the time, but I couldn't talk about this one thing. Mm. So I was like, why am I so ashamed of this thing that I went through? Is that, and that was like in your mind, it was shame. I was like extremely ashamed. Hmm. I was like when I thought about it, yeah. and as I was growing up into like puberty and just like, yeah, this athletic guy, I was really ashamed. I was really angry. I was that's I was taken advantage of, hmm. and I remember just feeling like someone took advantage of me without my control, without my consent, and that really pissed me off. And I look back at, you know, as a, if I'm looking at it from a uneducated psychologist point of view, I would see that, you know, that was one of the instances that made me really react in the ways I reacted in, in sports, in certain relationships, when things would happen, they were trigger points for me when I felt manipulated or attacked or abused emotionally, whatever it may be, then I would kind of puff my chest and be the alpha male in the room and kind of a glash back to protect myself. And so it's like you're responding not just to to the immediate threat, but also yeah. to like this history since it, you were like five. everything that's yeah. ever happened to me. I'm like, yeah. I must protect myself. Right. Type of attitude, ego, and you know, a threatening right. you know, angry way as opposed to communicating, you yeah. know, in a loving did, was there ever any, because I mean, like, I mean, God willing this, I will never be on the wrong side of something like this. Yeah. And, and I, I haven't, you know, in, in my life, but you know, when you, when you hear other people share their stories, there's also sometimes people feel that there's not just a sense of shame, but also um, blame. Mm. Like there, did, was that a part of what you're, yourself talking anyway, or was it? You know, as I reflect on it, I don't think I blame myself for any no. for it happening, but I just feel like 
I felt really ashamed to the point where I thought if anyone knew about this, they wouldn't care about me. Mm. Like they wouldn't respect me. They wouldn't love me. That they would make fun of me. Cause I already felt like I was being made fun of because I wasn't strong in school. So I was like, I don't want to give people a reason to, you know, know something so vulnerable about me that yeah. they would just make fun of me more or hold it against me. Right. You know, or what, or whatever. I was just like in such fear to let anyone know about this. My mm. family didn't know. Again, the only person that knew was this sociology professor that ended up transferring schools after one semester. So I only, you know, saw him a couple times. Yeah. And uh, he was like, you know, I'm really sorry to hear this, but you know, this is pretty common actually. And you're probably not the only young boy that he did this to mm. based on history and based on you nah. know, statistics. And I was just like, that's messed up. <laughs> yeah. You know, what was it? Um, what was it that stopped you from, from telling anyone in your family? I think again, I like, sh like shame. I didn't want them to like, I don't know. I mean, you also grew. I mean, can we share this? You grew up in a yeah. pretty faith-driven family. Yeah, yeah. Right where there was, you know, you were believers. Yeah. Um, My dad was strong, like Christian believer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, does that play any role in? in uh, maybe. I mean, I had my dad was like the most amazing human being uh, from ages thirteen to twenty-two, and he was an amazing human being, extremely loving father from when I was born to about 13, but I just lived in fear with mm. him because of his authority, because of his, like, he had some anger uh, and, and probably wasn't happy and fulfilled completely when I was a child. But then, like, when I was 12, 13, it, it, like, switched and he was the happiest, most loving human being. So I remember just being in fear when I was a kid mm. around my dad, although I never felt like he didn't love me. Like, he would always be there at night and tuck me in and, like, have me say a prayer. Yeah. And like, tell me how much he loved me. But the, his actions were very like fearful for me as a young child when he was just like this big authoritative, you know, intelligent man. And I was just like afraid not to mess up, you know. But I'm assuming, assuming most kids had like experiences where they're like, you know, afraid of their data sometimes. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I never, you know, I just was like, I didn't want to upset him or my parents or my siblings. I wanted them to love me. Yeah. I wanted to be loved by them and I wanted them to accept me. And, you know, I just, I don't think I was, had the self-awareness or the mindfulness at that age to be like, this is what happened to me, mom and dad. And, you know, I was just trying to like get by, you know, one day at school at a time, but, you know, with like having friends. <laughs> yeah. So, so you finally, um, you finally tell that first person and, and he, you know, when you're the sociology professor mm -hmm. in college and, and he comes back with this whole, well, you know, welcome to the club, yeah, <laughs> almost like right. type of like, you know, this is pretty, really pretty common and it's probably happened to a lot more people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where do you go from there? You know, that's when I was 18 and I remember, I don't know, so I remember like just, your fre I, freshman year in college. Freshman year in college. Yeah. I remember just being like mad. I just remember being like, this is a messed up why is this happening? Why do people do this? You know, wanting to come from a place of protecting myself and really pr making sure this doesn't happen to other people around me. Mm. You know, it made me come up with a lot of thoughts like, is it safe to have kids 
if this potential is out there. Hmm. Like, so you're already like sort of projecting. Well, it's just like, who can I trust? And you know, or why did I create this in my life? And why did you know why did it happen to me? And why does it happen to other kids? And what what are we creating in the world? I don't know if I thought about this at the moment, but what are we creating in the world that people don't feel that they're getting the love that they want, so that they have to go off and do this? Whether it's with kids or other, you know, adults. So what, when, when you, um, when you told the professor like mm-hmm. in the moment that you were telling him what was, what's going as you're walking up af- to the podium, I was afraid. Uh, well, I went to his office because okay. it was like after school, right, it's it was not like after public class. With everybody no, no. Around, yeah. I was just like, I feel like I have to tell someone because right. I haven't told anyone and what it was like. And it was really, years. it was like the subject of the class. It was like the this, subject. It's it like, like talking, it's time. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, yeah. I want to tell someone. Right. Like it was just a secret I had that no one knew. And I just wanted to like, yeah, talk it out because it's been like festering in my body for mm. 15 years or whatever. And I remember just being like trembling and shaking when I was talking to him. He made me feel very comfortable. He was like really relaxed. I'm sure he's experienced a lot of this before, mm. or, you know, talked about it for years. And so, but I still felt like ashamed. He made me, again, he made me feel not ashamed. He was like, this is not your fault. Yeah. This is something that he's probably did before you and probably continue to do. Um, so it kind of gave me like a first step of me being like, okay, it's, it's not, I'm not a bad human being for this happening to me. Mm. I still felt ashamed. I didn't tell anyone and open up for another 12 years about it. Yeah. But, uh, it was kind of like a first step for me. I, I mean, the, the moment after you told him, was there any sense of relief or was it just like, nothing? I think, there, I think there was a sense of relief right away, but still like I was living in fear. Yeah. I was like living in fear, living in resentment, living in a place of not forgiving yeah, so myself. It's like I'm, I'm out, but now what the hell do I do? With well, this? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it was a first step, yeah. but I was still trapped right. in this like emotional prison of fear. Mm. And I think each year as I got older and became more mindfulness about myself and the world and what I've created and what I haven't created. I was able to relax and like drop into my, I don't know, peacefulness about it because I was just like kind of remembering it and I felt okay with it myself, but I just wasn't able to share with anyone else. Right. That's the thing. It's like that there was one person, but that didn't, it's like that didn't start this external series no. of things where it's like, okay, let me see a therapist. Let me tell my close friends. Let me tell my, my mom, dad, whatever no. it is, or my brother, my sister. It's, yeah. It was like, one and done so there's this like emotion like okay but then it's like you're almost like you're going back into the cave after i hadn't fully dealt with it and it definitely showed up in relationships Mm. like i was still coming from a place of reacting in relationships with with friends with business partners with with you know intimate relationships with uh women that i was dating and um and i remember when things were great, you know, I was, I was great. And when things, when at the moment someone started to, I started to feel attacked in any emotional or physical way, whether that was the case or not, whether they were attacking me or not, when I started to feel attacked, I would drop in defensive mode Hmm. and attack back. Like I needed to protect myself. Like my body was telling me I needed to protect myself. There was nothing like my mind had could reason. It was like, I hadn't dealt with whatever I was, making me defensive still. And um, so it showed up 
and I was living in a place of fear in relationships when it would get tough or vulnerable or my, you know, intelligence was at, at stake or like, you know, someone has tried to attack who I was as a person or whatever yeah. it may be, you know? So yeah. I mean, was, and also, you know, like you lived in a really interesting world at this time. And it's like, you go through college, you're a, a huge football star in college, mm -hmm. you know, and then you come out and you're, and you know, you're playing pro ball yeah, and it's, and they're just, people make assumptions yeah. about who you are, who you should be, mm -hmm. the type of man you are, the type of man you aren't. Yeah. Um, and so there's like, you're in the public, you're very, you're a very public person. Yeah. And at the time also, my dad got in this extreme car accident. I don't know if I talked to this yeah, about you. Talked about and it was, he was in a coma for three months and we didn't know if he was going to live or die. And it was like, I had this amazing father who was always there for me. Every game around the country, he flew to be at in high school and college. Yeah. And it was like, I had this amazing, you know, hero that I was in fear of like, you know, growing up and unsure about, but then was really there for me with everything emotionally, physically, like he was so loving, so compassionate, understanding through my like growing pains as a, a young adult, you know, like most teens go through and it's just like, and then he was gone, you know, he's alive, but he was like gone and we had to like teach him how to walk and talk and yeah, so he had serious brain, trauma. serious brain trauma. Yeah. And, um, so I was going through that, like losing my dad in a sense, um, during that time as well yeah. and not didn't know who to lean on really. But it's so interesting too, because you talk like on the one hand, you talk about your dad as someone you lived in fear of. Yeah. And then you also talk about him as like the most loving, compassionate, devoting. Yeah. I mean, there's such intense duality. It was around crazy. That. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's tough cause I can't talk to him about this right now because He's very like aware of what's happening, but he has some amnesia still, and he's mm. he's not fully remembering everything. Right. So it's hard to have a conversation about his inner feelings with him yeah. fully being able to express it. He can express, but not fully at the deepest level, I think, yet still. Um, so I don't think I could actually have the conversation with him to ask him, you know, what were was going on with you. Yeah. You know, I think it was just a lot of like he wasn't. You know, he got married when he was 18 because my mom was pregnant with my older brother. Mm. They were in college. So he finished college while having two jobs to pay for the first baby. Then they had three more kids in right. 10 years. And uh, I think he was probably just doing stuff he didn't love and was probably like not happy, completely no. fulfilled, but stayed together because they wanted to take for the kids. Right. Yeah. So I think there was like once the kids were off to college, and my older siblings were after college and like I was 13 and I was like the only one left in high school and I was gone to a private school. He had like all this freedom and flexibility and he just like started really, you know. Start to reclaim his life. Yeah, his yeah. identity, his life, like his happiness and he was probably going through his own demons for the first, you know, 12 yeah. years of my life. It's just like. So then, and then flash forward, it's like at the time where you start to really need him on a different level, yeah. this horrible thing happens. Mm-hmm. And he's he's obviously through no fault of his. I mean, yeah. but um, but he's not there on yeah. like at the at your moment of greatest need. Right. He just can't give you what you need. Right, right. And he you was know? like my, you know, again, he was there for me, my friend, my dad, my mentor, yeah. everything. So, so um, so you keep this inside for a long time again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but the rage is like getting like it's like 
you know, there's a little bit of a valve like that mm-hmm. blows off a little bit of that when you talk to your sociology professor, but it's like the valve shuts down and it starts to build again. Yeah, you know, I think like each year as I grew older in my 20s, I was very calm. I, I became more mindful of who I was in the world and and everything. And I would say that I was not like an angry person by any means or aggressive. I was very loving, but I would still react and like get defensive mm. and threaten. If, if someone was threatening me, it's like I would threaten back with the same type of fear or whatever, as opposed to just coming from a place of let's resolve this lovingly right? and communicate like human beings. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is so interesting for me. Cause I mean, like, knowing you pretty well i also know like yeah there's like you look at your physical presence and again like you make certain assumptions about a guy like you and um but you have like this insane you know like nurturing like loving like caretaking you know like mothering side yeah like to the world um which i think a lot of people would really be caught by surprise but it's Mm -hmm. such a part of the fiber of who you are Mm -hmm. um yeah, it's just, again, there's like these just crazy dualities playing out in your life yeah. all over the place. Yeah, and I, you know, again, I think it's the experiences I went through. Again, I felt like my father, my parents, my siblings loved me, but I didn't feel loved. Mm. So I knew they loved me, and my interpretation of it was that I wasn't being loved. Mm. I didn't feel it. Yeah. Whether it was happening or not, that was my interpretation. Now, maybe it was just because of the instances that happened, the rape, some other instances that occurred, just my brother going to prison when I was eight, just feeling like I didn't have any friends until I was 13. Mm. You know, I just didn't feel like I was accepted or loved. And so I think, you know, it really made me want to love everyone so that they, I could feel that. Yeah. It really made me want to be you know, nurturing and compassionate towards everyone so that I could experience what that felt like as a kid. And so I think that's kind of like how it's developed for me. Yeah. I mean, but in, and at the same time, it's like you have, it's like you had two states, rage and adoration. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was a really confused kid. And yeah. I remember, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I've told this to anyone. I think my parents knew this, but when I was in elementary school, I would often tell the the teacher or the principal, like when I would get in trouble or when I just or something was happening, I would often say, I remember, and I can't believe in, I can't believe I actually said this a lot, but I remember I would say that I wish I were dead or I want to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And I think I would just say it so nonchalantly that I you know, I don't know why I would say that. And I don't know if other kids ever said that, but I would just be like, I wish I were dead. I wish I would like. Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of middle schoolers say that about other people. <laughs> right, right. I wish they were dead. I wish you would die or whatever. Yeah. Right. But I mean, but the the fact that you were saying it actually, I mean, like, who am I? I'm not a psychologist. Sure. But, um, but to me, it actually makes perfect sense because yeah. it's like, oh, wait a minute. Here's somebody now who, who doesn't love me. Like, what can I say? What can I throw out there? To get attention. To, to or change to... the emotion so right. that all of a sudden they want to take care of me. Right, exactly. You know, so that, like, they're not, you know, they're not angry at me anymore, but yes. they're, they're like, they, how can I get them to love me? Of course. So I can, yeah. you know, and, you know, looking back, I see what I was creating for myself. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> yeah. And I don't know if, again, if it all stemmed from this one experience or if it was a multiple of experiences, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it's... Who, who knows? We're know, a compilation, compilation of like yeah. all these things, but you had some big moments, and, you yeah. know, including a, a big one that you recalled so vividly when you were yeah. five. So, so you get to a point pretty recently in your life mm-hmm. um, 
where you start processing this and it's like, what happens that makes you hit a tipping point where it's like, this has to, I, I need to move through this. It's interesting. I never thought I would share this with anyone ever or open up. Maybe like if I was like, you know, my wife, I would like talk about it, mm. but I didn't really like think about it that much. And I was just like, you know, what? it's not that big a deal. It happened when I was five. There's nothing I can do about it. And it's over. Like I can either be upset about it or I can, you know, create something amazing in the world and have an awesome life. So I was like, why talk about it? Why even bring it up? It's not going to do me any good. I went to this about six months ago. I went to this leadership workshop for five days in Los Angeles. And we were talking a lot about emotional intelligence and really understanding ourselves and why we react to certain things in the world, why we create certain things in the world, why, um, you know, what holds us back from like getting what we want in relationships with our career, with our goals. Like what are the things that are holding us back, keeping us from living the most epic life that we can live. Mm. And I remember there was like a moment where people were just sharing about different things that they'd went through in their life. And the, the workshop facilitator was like, you know, here's an opportunity. If, if anyone wants to share, like here's the open floor. And I'm extremely grateful for the space that everyone else created before me in this like 30 to 60 minute moment of like sharing because some people really were so courageous and opened up and shared in front of a group of about 50 of us about some things that happened to them. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is you know unbelievable. Mm. And I remember thinking, is there anything that I could share that is holding me back? I was like, you know, my ego is like, you know, I'm pretty good. You know, my ego is like, you're doing great things. You're, you're crushing it. You're, you're, you're getting what you want. You're making the money. You're achieving your, you know, financially athletic goals. I was like, I think I'm pretty good. I don't know if I need to share anything. There's nothing like crazy that's happened to me. Like some of these stories were unbelievable. And then I was just like trying to, I was like, okay, I really want to dive into this and make sure I get the most out of this workshop. So let's just think about it. So I was thinking about my brother going to prison. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've already talked about that so much. Like I'm not, it doesn't hurt me or affect me anymore. I was like, my parents getting divorced. No, you know, I've, I've gone through that. And so I was just trying to like go through my head, all the things that happened to him. And then everything, but everything, everything, but that. And then that kind of pops up. I was like, what about this thing when I was five that I've already dealt with? Um, and my heart started pounding Mm. when I was thinking about it. I just imagined myself in front of the room speaking about it and my heart was pounding and I was like, uh, I don't think I want to do this, (laughs) but I know I need to. Right. And so the trainer was like, his name is Chris Lee. He goes, you know, last chance. Does anyone want to get up here? And I was like, in my seat, I was like, I do not want to do this. This is extremely vulnerable and scary. But I just like something in my body just stepped, stood up and just started walking to the front of the room. And I was like, oh shit, I'm about to do this. Mm. And then when I was up there, I just like, how many people in the room? At about time? 50 people probably. Yeah. And did you know them before these five days? Didn't know them. No, yeah. but I, I'd known them for, it was probably like the third day. Right. So there's like I, a, a I was building relationship. Yeah. I was created. really building yeah. connection with a lot of people right. and like we were going through different exercises and, and, um, experiences together. So I was like, I felt safe enough where if I don't see any of these people ever again, mm. awesome. If I do. Okay. Right. But I remember being very nervous and I stood up there very calmly walked through the entire experience, similar to the way I walked through with you in the beginning of this interview. And I was calm. I was not crying. I was just like talking. 
I remember I couldn't look anyone in the face. I was just kind of looking down. Mm. I could press probably in like yeah. a shameful, a, shame side, a yeah. shameful way, looking down and just expressing it. And then I remember the room was just silent, like as I'm talking. And I think everyone was just kind of in shock that this, I guess, big man was talking about being right. sexually abused and raped as a five-year-old boy by another man. And uh, I sat down back in my seat and there was two women on either side of me. And I remember sitting down and just like bawling and crying probably harder than I've ever cried in my life mm. and just letting it out, just really letting it out. Like I was a kid that just like, you know, fell off the swing or something, but just bawling, crying. I just could not control my emotions. I could not hold it in. I couldn't act tough. I couldn't act like this big guy. I was just so, I was just ejecting this emotion. And thankfully, like I've so, I don't remember who was sitting next to me, but these two women were so loving and just hugging on to me and like crying with me, you know, having this moment with me where I was like so shameful for what I had just said. I felt so like low of myself and shameful and guilty and I was just like, no one in this room is going to look at me the same ever again. They're all going to judge me. They're all going to, you know, think about weird things about me. They're going to look down at me. I just had all these thoughts like bubbling up. Mm. And so I was crying with these women in my arms. They ended up taking a break right then. So I'd go out, I'd go out of the, the, the conference room, out of the, the, the building, and it's like, I need some air. Yeah. So I'm going outside. I'm like bawling outside and like putting my head against the wall. Like I just didn't want anyone to look at me. You know, it's just really shameful. And I was just like, I don't know if I can go back in this room. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's going to happen? I was like, I don't know if I can go back in this room. And I am just so blessed and grateful that I had this opportunity because what happened next was one of the most amazing healing moments for me these men in the room came out to me and like just looked me in the eyes and told me that I was their hero. And it was so moving for these other grown men who are older than me to express their feelings towards me hmm. about like, I guess my courage. Yeah. They were like, you are so courageous. This is, you know, you know, just, I'm so sorry this happened, but this is amazing that you are stepping up and, and sharing this and allowing yourself to experience it. And you know, man after man came up to me and embraced me and hugged me. And again, that it was because it was a man and like the whole experience, I think it was just, it was just really healing for me to have other men be like, you know, thank you for what you're doing and for what you're creating and how loving you are towards women and towards other people. And, um, yeah. And you're no less a man. Yeah. Because the, of this. No one looked down on me. Yeah. And I thought everyone would. Right. And it was, again, it was, it was a struggle to go back in there, but there was like, I had all this support to like come back in. And I realized at the end of the day, but that my story, my experience that people have experienced just as much, if not more in their own way. And that it's not like I have this unique story that's, worse than other people or better than other people. It's just my experience. And another guy came up to me and was like, I was sexually abused as well. And no one knows about it. Mm. And thank you for creating the space for me to be able to tell you. 
And we got to have this connection and this bond and, and talk about it. And other men started opening up and sharing about things that happened to them. And again, some things were extremely traumatic and like, holy crap, this is unbelievable. And other things were, you know, I would say less traumatic, but still very emotionally stressful for them in their own way. Yeah. And um, so I remember just, it was like, the, that was really the first step for me. It was kind of like sharing it to a group of people in a really safe container in a and, safe place and then having them say like this it, it's okay yeah and you're okay yeah, yeah. i'm not like i'm yeah. going to be ashamed of this yeah. and not only you're okay but you know like w- what you just did right was astonishing yeah yeah and uh again i think for me it was a challenge just by being this you know larger guy whatever stereotype and not supposed to express my emotions and, and be vulnerable that way. It was a challenge for me because if that's how I've like grown up to think that I'm not supposed to do that. Um, and again, and, and I really am grateful for the space as well because a lot of women came up to me and were just like opening up and sharing what had happened to them and just saying how much they trust men now in the world because of what I was able to create for them and you know thanking me for for opening up and for being vulnerable and you know that they judged me before because of the way i looked and yeah. you know and, and we've talked about that the yeah. yeah, first time i met you i judged you big time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know like he's just like big you know, like goofy like right. dog and i was like and yeah you know, i learned like in in minutes that i was dead wrong i was being an idiot but yeah i mean there's there are certain assumptions that people make about you just because of your physical presence. Right, right, right. So these women were like, you know, you literally healed me right now Mm -hmm. by what you were able to create. And I trust men because of you, like where I haven't trusted men for years because of the way I've been manipulated or this and that. But now seeing what you're able to create and what's, you know, your way of being there, you know, they shifted. Which I was just like, it was an honor for me to hear that from these men and women. It was like, one of the greatest gifts they could have given me yeah. to see that I was able to create that for them. So, but now you're in an interesting place, right? Because you came clean one time before it was mm. like 10 years ago, whatever yeah. it was, but then no one else knew. Right. And then you went like back into mm-hmm. the shell. So yeah. like, here's this moment again. And it's like, and this is like, okay, you got to make a decision again. Yeah. How are you going to move forward? Well, you know, I thought about it and I was just like, Okay, have I done the work? Have I let mm. it out? You know, yeah. I've cried about this now. I've expressed it. I've told people about it in a safe place. And is this, has it left me? Am I, you know, still going to react or be angry or negative or um, hold a grudge? Mm. Or, you know, have I forgiven myself and forgiven everyone else? Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I haven't gone deep enough. Uh, I knew that I'd done a great amount of work just in that moment and sharing it and talking with the people who were there about it kind of one-on-one and listening to them and, and talking to them about my my stuff. I knew that I'd done a good amount of work. I was like, I was grateful and like patting myself on the back for like going there and getting vulnerable in it. But I remember being like, you know what? My family doesn't know this about me. Mm. And for some reason, I was just like, I don't want to... I don't want to be ashamed of this. I want people to know about my life in a non-shameful way. And I didn't feel like it would be resolved until 
all my closest friends and my family just knew. Just I just wanted to share the experience. Right. I didn't need to like cry on them or like have them say anything to me or have them feel bad for me or, or tell me it was okay. Yeah, you just wanted to be out there. I just like, wanted to be honest and right. open about my life. Mm-hmm. And just be like, here's who I am. I'm an open book. And not try to put on this like image that you know nothing happened to me. And so I remember calling my family members one by one. I think I called my mom first. I may have called my sister first because I was kind of scared to tell my mom. Yeah. My sister was so loving. And, and then afterwards, my sister Heidi, she wrote me this like long email about how you know she thought I was so brave and how I was her hero and this and that. And I was just like, it felt amazing. It's not, I didn't need that, but it was like, it felt amazing. I just wanted to have her listen to me. Okay. I called my brother. And I remember asking my brother, you know, my brother's like my hero to me. And I remember asking him a question. I go, I had some, I had some coaching from a friend of mine, Kavita, who's a relationship coach actually. And I asked her, I was kind of telling her about this experience and I was like, you know, I want to make sure when I tell people that I tell them in an appropriate way that doesn't make them feel bad or make them feel anything except for like, it's a safe place for them to listen. Yeah. And she was like, start off by asking the question, is there anything that I could do in my life that would make you not love me? And I was just like, I didn't understand it, but I was like, okay, I'll ask it. And I asked this to my brother. I was like, is there anything that I could have done in my life or that I could do ever in my life in the future that would make you not love me? And he was like, absolutely not. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and again, my brother went to prison. So I was just yeah. like, what else can you do? You know, right. <laughs> that, that could be make me not love you. So I was like, okay, he, you know, I created this safe place for him. I was like, I just want to share with you, you know, something that happened to me. And I went through and share with him and he was like the most amazing human being. Like his response was so loving and nurturing. And like, he was like, you know, you're really the one that all of us look up to in the family for what you're creating, like your life, Mm. your, your career, your dreams, like you're our hero. And I was just like, so moved by his words and just felt, you know, he started to open up about things that he'd never share with me. And, you know, I, again, I created a space by opening up, being vulnerable for, for other people to open up and be vulnerable with me mm. and create this deeper connection and relationship with my family that I've a deeper sense of connection that I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And I've been with them for 30 years, but it was like, I really got to know them when I started to connect with them on this vulnerable open level, as opposed to just, Hey, what's up, bro? It was up sister. You know, right. what are you up to today? The normal surface stuff. I, it's like, I have this connection with my family now for us to be able to open up in a vulnerable place that I've never, you know, that I've always wanted, but never had. Mm. And it's like this deeper bond. It's like, it's amazing. The connection we have now. Yeah. When, when you talked to your brother, were you curious at all about um, whether this happened to anybody else in your family? I'm curious. I, I still, uh, you know, no one opened up to me about um, sexual abuse. I remember my sister Heidi was like, I always thought something happened to you. She yeah. kind of like sensed it. She was huh. like, I always thought something happened to you. I was like, really? How did you get to tell? She's like, I just felt it. She never asked me though. And I don't know. I don't, you know. I have no clue if, if something happened to any of them when they were children. Yeah. None of them opened up to me about that specifically. They opened right. up about other things. Um, but uh, yeah. so, it's, so it's so possible. There's, you know? there's one person that you still, so your sister, your brother. 
Yeah, I told my other sister too, Catherine. Right. Then my mom. Yeah. I told my mom, and I think she felt like she kind of had a hard day. She was like very emotional, and yeah. I think she was crying like the rest of the day. On the phone, she was like very loving and sweet. And I came to her right away, and I was like, listen, Mom, I want you to tell you something, but I want you to know it's not your fault. Like, this is not something you did. So I set the stage. Um, but I kind of walked her through what happened and she was just like, you know, I feel really bad as a mother. It's my job to protect you yeah. and to be there for you. And I wasn't there for you. I was like, yeah, but I didn't tell you and you didn't know. And you didn't know the babysitter had a son who, you know, he seemed like a normal guy. You know, you didn't know he had this dark side or whatever. I was like, it's okay. I was like, cause I had gone through the process of actually forgiving the guy, you know, went through my process of forgiving him but the most important person I forgave was myself because I wasn't, I hadn't forgiven myself and that's why I was so defensive and reactive mm. and angry. I was just like upset at myself for 25 years. So I'd forgiven everyone in the process of the experience and I took responsibility for it. You know, and a lot of people are like, how can you take responsibility when you didn't know what's happening? It's not like I, I take responsibility. I just, I am responsible for the situation. You know, it's, a situation that well, I was in. Yeah, and, and I mean, because I'm sure some people are going to listen to that and they're, gonna, they're actually going to recoil to hear you say that. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, I this is my lens. My lens is not that you're taking responsibility for right. what somebody did to you when you were five years old. Sure. But at this moment in time today, you're taking responsibility for how you choose to now yeah. to process it and move forward. Yeah, exactly. And that's, so it's like you're taking responsibility from for the way that you now move through this yeah. and interact with the world from this moment. Exactly. Forward. Because I can either be a victim and have this be an experience that controls me mm. yeah. and holds me back and has me hesitate and be closed off in every relationship moving forward. Or I can use it and say, you know what, what can I learn from this and how, how can I ensure that I don't create this in my life moving forward, that I don't create, um, negative feelings from people that, you know, people feel safe and that I'm honest and open and always, you know, expressing what's on my mind and being, uh, you know, communicating as opposed yeah. to manipulating or whatever else may be happening and really allowing other people to make decisions based on my honest communication. Yeah. And also to a certain extent, maybe to a large extent, you know, having this voice in the back of your head that kind of like feels more comfortable that in any given reaction like in any given experience whether it's a romantic relationship friends business that you feel more comfortable that your reaction is actually to what's going on in front of you rather than what's going on you know what a traumatic incident yeah, a long exactly. long time ago like you know we can never entirely can never entirely leave any of that behind but at least yeah. you can you you always use the word mindfulness a number yeah. of times you become more mindful and at least you can zoom the lens out more easily and say, oh, yeah. wait a minute. And what am I re reacting to? Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest with myself, there's going to be breakdowns and things that happen that are not fun in the world. People are going to die as we do. That's not fun. Um, you know, there's probably going to be some war in my lifetime and there's probably going to be some things that happen that I don't want to happen either to other people around me to other, you know, something's going to happen in the world where this sucks. 
And uh, I can either choose to allow these instances to control me and have me live in fear and play small in the world and be safe and live in a little bubble. Or I can experience the experiences when they happen and move forward with courage, vulnerability, compassion, openness, um, and love and be, you know, and create the change that I want to change for myself is kind of, you know, lame as that sounds, but really show people what, it, what it's going to take to step up in a powerful way yeah. when breakdowns happen or when things that seem horrible happen and how to be responsible for every situation. Yeah. So I'm choosing moving forward. You know, does that mean I'm, I'm going to never be reactive or never be, you know, guarded or defensive or angry or not forgive certain things? That's probably going to happen at some point. But I feel like I'm at a place where I've done so much work on myself and I've communicated clearly with a lot of people with where I'm at. I've got the support to support me when a breakdown happens that I can quickly shift out of it. Mm. You know, there's an instance I told you about this morning yeah. where I'm like, years ago, this would have controlled me. This would have like taken over my my body, my mind, and I would feel like I would have to so fix the problem, right. fix it and solve it and be there and like give all of my heart, my emotion until I'm like exhausted because I take all the responsibility and the blame and nah. I feel guilty and, and all these things. But I don't feel that way anymore. Like I'm, I'm able to like go through the process, experience it, communicate it clearly with people and then move forward and stick to my truth. I think that's been a valuable lesson going through this process right. of opening up and sharing with people. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting that, and, and tell me if this is, um, I'm not going to overshare here, I hope, but you know, like, so you were sharing this with me this morning as we're hanging out and, um, and we're not going to go into you know, like what the circumstances, but um, you also came to me because you're like, I, I actually feel okay about this. I yeah. just, should I, I feel bad? Should, right. You know, so there's, it's so interesting that, you know, well, that was my default. To yeah. Feel bad, right. To and feel like, so, yeah. But I think what's great is that, you know, you have now a small group of friends who you, you trust yeah. with pretty much anything you can come to and say, Hey, listen, like I, I, I've done a lot of work, like, and I'm, I'm reacting differently than I ever would have, yeah. you know, is that okay? Because you're, there's still that, like, there's still the nugget of a voice in your head, you know? And I think it's so important for people to have that small group of people around them so mm -hmm. that they kind of, like, because we constantly need sort of, you know, like, we need other people sometimes to to pull us out of that abyss that still can be, yeah. like, a bit of a default mode. <laughs> yeah. You my know? automatic. Yeah. You know, it's going to drive um, me back into my automatic. But it was awesome to see that you, like, when you, when you came to me, that you had already kind of come to the place where, like, yeah, I'm okay with this. I just want to make sure that like, I'm <laughs> that I shouldn't feel bad. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no it's all it's good. You know, like you're, you're yeah. it's awesome. It's awesome to see it. But, um, you know, and I, I think one of the, um, one of the big powerful things, you know, for me, just moving through this conversation with you and having other conversations over the years in the last few months, especially is just, you know, something that Brene Brown kind of brought to the public eye in a huge way last year, which is that, um, we, we've been, we we're taught to assume that vulnerability is weakness. And in fact, you know, more often than not, um, if not per, close to always vulnerability is a source of, of strength. Um, and that, and not only strength for you, but strength for those around you, because when they see you live it, 
you model it and you yeah. allow other people to step into theirs yeah um and and connect with something deeper in themselves it's like you're you know it's like if your brother and your family they're like you, you don't know this but you're a hero mm. so when you model that you know like you it's like you're you're opening up like the the world for them to step into on a yeah. high level and then look what happens and you know with your really first you know 30 years yeah. later yeah th- there's like a new relationship there yeah i think you know Brene brown is obviously like an inspiration sean stevenson i heard him give a talk about mm-hmm. vulnerability yeah. and how to like he gave a presentation about how to leave people breathless and he's been on the podcast and talking about vulnerability and i remember just being so inspired by his stories of vulnerability for his life and <clears throat> thinking you know i don't have to portray this big strong got it all figured out all the time like i can open up and and actually by being vulnerable it's going to make me stronger you yeah. know it's going to make me strong and connect with people on a deeper level that it's going to strengthen our relationship whether people know me personally or just know me from afar and it's been powerful it's been i feel stronger than ever now and i feel humbler than ever now great you know so grateful i mm. feel calmer i feel at peace i feel like i can i just feel really centered and grounded mm. and not frustrated or confused and it feels amazing yeah i've i've sensed that about you <laughs> there's been a huge shift um over the last year really not even last year but last couple of months yeah yeah uh, i mean just since i've been doing all the work yeah yeah and the more people i talk to about it you know one-on-one i've only been sharing it one-on-one ever since this experience with my friend my family my friends i started telling you and a few other close friends of ours and it wasn't again to like make people feel bad about me or to make them feel responsible, but it was really just to like, hey, this is who I am. I want you to understand a deeper level of me, and kind of this is what I'm committed to moving forward. Here's what you can expect from me moving forward. Now that you know this about me, and it's been like, you know, the first couple of times I talked about it with my family, I was scared and like intimidated and nervous, and now it's become easier and easier to share. And it's not a challenge to say what had happened. It's not a challenge. Yeah. And I, and I think my final, you know, I really wanted. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, you know, one of the things that struck me um, is I, I've now heard you share this with me twice. Yeah. You know, and the first time I was struck by how almost clinical it was, but there was still emotion there. Mm. And sitting here now, it's probably a couple months later. Yeah. Um, you seem more just. It's weird to say at ease with it. I feel like it, yeah. it it seems like that. So I guess and maybe this is where you were leading also. It's mm-hmm. like now the leap to putting this out to everybody. What's yeah. that about? You know, I had this you know I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to kind of like openly publicly talk about this for a couple of reasons. Like what if people thought something about me? What if they thought it was for the wrong reasons or you know my ego came up. What if they're going to judge me? This and that. What if people are going to, you know, not going to be responsive to the stuff I was putting out in the future afterwards? What if they would, you know, whatever. What if my business was going to suffer? Right. What if people didn't want to, you know, bring me to speak anymore? Things like that. My conversation was coming up. And I really didn't want to do it if it was going to put people off in a negative way. Like I just wanted to make sure, I wanted to come from a place of, one, being completely vulnerable and open to the world about who I am. 
and two, creating a safe place for other people who've been sexually abused in any way to, I, and if they haven't experienced it or dealt with like going through the process of understanding it yet, that uh, I guess kind of gives some insights on how they could or that it was okay to, and it's a safe place to do that. And I'm not saying you need to like let me know or, or leave a comment on the blog or anything crazy like that. If you like to, that's fine. But more than like, it's okay if you've gone through this experience yeah. in any way, any type of sexual abuse, that you're not a bad person, that you don't have to like feel guilty, that you don't you can forgive yourself and you can forgive the other person. Because, you know, n- not being in a place for, of, for, of forgiving really made me a prisoner. It, I was a prisoner to these negative emotions for 25 years because I was holding on to this resentment about myself and this other person. And I would not forgive myself and this other person. And that's what caused a lot of the uncertainty of the anger and resentment and fear was this like feeling of not being able to forgive. And I want everyone out there to know that it's okay to forgive yourself and the other person if this has happened to you. And if it hasn't happened to you, it's okay to forgive people with anything of emotional abuse. Anyone who's done you wrong. Anything. Any variety. Anything. Like if you're holding on to any resentment towards someone, it's not serving you. It's not serving you in stepping into your, your greatest level of as a human being and creating the life of your dreams mm. and the, the, the career you want, the types of feelings, the passion you want to have every moment in your life, the relationships, it's holding you back from your greatness by holding on to this like nah. resentment. So that, I mean, there's like secrets, um, vulnerability and forgiveness, three huge things like swirling around that invitation you know, which is to, to step out of the shadows. Um, and, and again, like you said, that doesn't mean dropping a comment, you know, no. here. that means in whatever way is appropriate yes. for your life, your condition, where you're at, like the way that you need to do that. Like, how do you move? How do you take that and and yeah. start to move through it and, and like bring it out of the shadow in the, the most appropriate way for you? Yeah, you know, nobody. We can't tell you what that is, and that can literally. That doesn't mean you have to tell anyone. Also, that can literally be writing a letter mm. to yourself, and then, you know, <laughs> lighting a fire and burning it, and just you going through the process of you experiencing the process of forgiveness and letting something go. Yeah. So, I mean, let's go a little bit more into that, sure. Right? Because the notion of forgiving somebody who has done something horrible to uh-huh. you. That's not an easy thing. For not easy people. at all. And especially what if someone's killed someone? What if someone, you know, did yeah. hor- there's horrible things that have been done and I get it. It's not easy. And what if someone killed your whole family? You know, there's like, I've heard experiences of people's entire families being killed by drunk drivers. How do you forgive someone who's dead that killed your entire family? Like this is not easy. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, an expert in this. Yeah. I, I don't have, I wish I had answers. And I'm not I saying <clears throat> that you need to forgive people if, or you don't need to, I'm not telling you what to do. What I'm saying is it's going to be really hard for you to step into your greatness and love fully and be committed to people and have an amazing life without, you know, if you don't forgive yourself and someone else, 
it's going to be like you're going to be a prisoner in your negative emotions. Mm. And if that's the life you choose to live, then I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that it's not stepping into your highest potential as a human being. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing as a future uh, podcast guest, some <laughs> psychotherapist who's an expert in forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, do you, how do you actually do it? I would, yeah, I would love to know more. I mean, I just no. know what worked for me. Right. The process I went through was sharing it with a group of people, then one by one with everyone mm. in my, in my immediate life. And then I knew that I wanted to create a space because I do have a, a platform and a podcast I knew I wanted to, I was asking you, I was asking a lot of people, I was like, do you think I should share this publicly? Because I really don't want to, if it's going to come across in the wrong way. Right. Like opportunistic. Yeah. I really don't want to do this. If it's going to like, if people are, it's going to hurt people as opposed to support people. And a lot of people were like, I think it'd be an amazing thing for you to do. Hmm. And so I just said, you know what, Jonathan, I'd love for you to, you know, facilitate yeah, this for me so i don't just ramble about an experience no i mean and i and um so much love to you for just having the trust in me the faith in me to just have that conversation with you publicly it's uh i know it hasn't you know you've been struggling with this for a while yeah. and uh, and i can certainly understand you know especially out there in the world that we live in that um People will process this through whatever filter mm-hmm. their life yeah. um, brings to listening. Yeah. And and no matter how much um, you try and come from a loving place with this, no matter how much you try and do this in the name of allowing people to rise, yeah. um, there will be people who look and be like, oh, this is, it's, it's opportunistic. He's trying to build audience. And, right. Um, and to a certain extent, you, you got to you know, let that go too and just know like, you know what? <laughs> My intention is I know in my heart, like deep down that I'm doing this. This is right action. Yeah. This is right action. Yeah. I'm doing this for the right reasons. And I feel it in my heart. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it won't be haters. Yeah. Um, but that like knowing it comes from that place allows you to be much more okay. Um, when, and if that does happen. And the, the truth is like the vast majority of people will, will yeah. rally not only to support you, but to, support the conversation mm-hmm. and to grow the conversation and then yeah. maybe allow other people to step into their own yeah. journeys on, I, on a different level. I feel like it's not being talked about enough with, you know, I feel like a lot of people who haven't shared their experience and because they haven't shared it, it's not on the forefront of people's minds and it's not, people think it's okay to do mm-hmm. to like little kids and it's just not okay. And so I want to step up and share my experience to let people know that it's not okay. And to make sure that you like do talk to your kids or whatever and let them know like, hey, if this ever comes up for you, give them some guidance. You know, I'm not a parent, so I can't tell you what to no. do. But let people be aware of it. Have conversations with your kids like on a, on a weekly basis or monthly basis, I would say, and ask them, is there anything that's happened or there's anything you'd like to talk about that you feel ashamed of or anything? Create a space for them. Yeah. And maybe that means you need to be vulnerable as a parent first or and really open up about you. And maybe there's a right time and place and you know, I'm just throwing out ideas, but yeah, I just want to be having a conversation. Yeah, and no. uh, you know, in some sense this is like a selfish thing for me to really like continue to heal. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm healed, like I've gone through the process and I've 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 let it go and I've forgiven. But like you said, like I don't know, will this ever go away? Like if, yeah, I, I, don't if know. I stop talking about it, is it going to go away? You right. Know? I, I don't know. But I mean, you know. It's- and me expressing it, 
makes me feel like stronger. Yeah. And I guess to a certain extent, you know, the, the broader you go with it, the, um, the further you step out of the shadow and into the yeah, light. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And as a parent, you know, obviously, um, I, I hope, um, that, you know, I would always create space for my kid to feel okay coming to me, coming to my wife, um, with whatever, <laughs> whether it's bad grades or like a spat in school to, um, you know, God willing, nothing ever major happens. Um, right. but you know, as a parent, you're always, um, I'm not the only parent who I'm sure is listening to this. I'm sure there are you know, zillions. You, you're one of your biggest hopes as a parent is always that you create enough, um, a, a space of safety and love so that you, you would hope that your kid would come to you with sure. any kind of challenges. You know, that's yeah. always one of the, it's one of the concerns that you have as a parent is that you don't want secrets to build up um, because you feel like your kid can't trust you with something. Yeah. And I would definitely say, you know, whether you're a parent who's experienced sexual abuse or rape yourself, you know, there's, we were trying to find statistics online before and we still don't know what it is, what it is, but I know there's like a, a number of people. It seems like one in every six or seven of people have had some type of sexual abuse mm. in their life, whether it's a small or, or a rape. But I think, um, you know, if you have experienced that in any way, I just want you guys to know that like you are s such an amazing, you're amazing human beings that I love you so much and that it's okay. Like whatever you've experienced, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. And you can still create amazing relationships and an amazing life for yourself, even though you've experienced that. And I just want everyone to know that if they've ever experienced that or if anyone in their family has experienced that, to just give them a safe place to feel loved and that a safe place to talk about it. Mm -hmm. For me, that's what I needed was a safe place to talk about it without feeling ashamed, even though I still felt ashamed. And just know that, uh, you know, some people may not want to talk about it, but I think it's holding them back if they're not talking about it and they're still, you know, guarded or defensive or, or something's holding them back in their life. So just continue to create a safe place until they are open to talking about it. Yeah, I think it's probably a, a great place for us to come full circle and wrap yeah. up also. Yeah. It's been, like I said, it's been... Um, it's been an honor. I appreciate you having the faith in me to just have this conversation yeah. in a comfortable way. And, and, uh, and, um, and you're my hero for, uh, you know, not for going through what you went through, but just for, um, for your decision to move through it. Mm. Well, I acknowledge you for being an amazing friend for, again, allowing me to have a safe place. You're one of the first people I thought of and talked to when I wanted to have this podcast and this episode. So what you're creating in the world has created a safe place in my heart to just share freely with. So I acknowledge you for the huge gift you are to this world and uh, what you continue to do with all of your projects. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, if you feel like leaving a review, that would be fantastic. So appreciated. Also, if you're interested in any courses or trainings or anything else that we may be up to at Good Life Project, head on over to goodlifeproject.com and take a look at what we have going on. And if you feel inclined, go ahead and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.
Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.